uh, Bibles and would like to open to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today, starting in those verses that Carolyn read, uh, starting in verse 22 all the way to the end of the chapter. And I realize this looks a little bit different. Hosanna was having a big deal next door, and their pulpit broke. And it seemed only right for them to use our little one rather than lugging the huge one out that's behind the stage. So that's why we get a music stand, and that's okay. I, I, I'm okay with that. Um, also, I, I want to let you know, because of Art Camp, I got a little bit delayed in my sermon prep stuff. So you have nothing in your bulletin, but there are slides because Steve... In spite of not being here today, thanks, Emily, for filling in, uh, was able to put slides in. So there'll be some prompts and things that you can follow if you'd like. But let me, let me start with this. I don't remember if I've shared this with you before, but when I was in high school, my youth pastor shared this phrase with me. He said, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let me say that again. Your walk talks, I think it's on the screen. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You see, my youth pastor was was trying to instill that in us to challenge us um, to recognize that what we say matters, but what we do matters more. Because we can say one thing and do another, and then we become hypocrites. You see, all of life communicates. Our actions communicate our beliefs. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. In fact, even Jesus said, a good person, this is Luke 6.45, a good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You see, our actions speak louder than our words. So as we've been studying the Gospel of John, we've seen that Jesus refers to his actions or signs over and over again as confirmation of who he is. So today as we look at this this little pericope, John 10, 22 to 42, we'll get to see an encounter that Jesus had with religious leaders where his, his actions spoke one thing, but people refused to listen. And then when his words confirmed his actions, he was misunderstood. You see, I I think it's important for us to recognize that all communication is two-way. There's what is being delivered, and then there is what is being received. And we have to recognize that not everyone, it's not always the communicator's fault that people aren't receiving it. Sometimes people just refuse to receive what is there. So what we find is that a lot of people are seeing and hearing the same things from Jesus, but only a few really understand. And I think the same is true in our lives today. But let's consider very briefly the context. If you remember, we've been looking at the the Feast of Tabernacles. We spent several weeks on that. That happens in September, October of the year. Now we're in Hanukkah. This is about three months later. Jesus is back in Jerusalem. In fact, in John's gospel, it says it was nighttime. And several of the commentators kind of want us, to, want us to think that because John pointed out it's night. Not only was it physically night, but in many ways it was spiritually nighttime. Hanukkah and the festival of, of um, uh, 
festival of dedication is really a celebration of something that happened between the Testaments. It happened um, when Judas Maccabees worked to free uh, the Israelites from a lot of things. It's very much a political thing. We don't find it in the Old Testament. We don't find this, uh, this festival sanctioned by God. Instead, this is a response that happened later on. So we find Jesus in Jerusalem at night in winter at this festival. And we get to see, first of all, if you want to take notes, here's my first main point, that Jesus walk talks, and it's revealing his identity and mission. We see this in verses uh, 22 to 30. So here he is in the temple, and several of the religious leaders come around him, as they often did. And they ask him this question very bluntly in verse 24. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Just get on with it. Stop holding us in suspense. They want verbal confirmation of the very thing that some people had already suspected about Jesus. But think about this. Knowing what we've seen in the book of John, if Jesus said, yep, I'm the Christ, or yep, I'm the Messiah, how would they have responded? If they didn't pick up stones first, most likely they would have opened some sort of inquiry, inquisition, and brought him before everybody and said, hey, uh, so show us some signs. How do you, what proof do you have that you are the Christ, the Messiah? Which is the very thing that Jesus had been doing. Keep in mind, he'd been performing miracles. He'd been healing people. He'd been doing all these things to show people that he was the Christ without ever letting those words come out of his mouth. One of the other things I think we need to keep in mind, though, is that for a lot of these religious leaders, the Christ or the Messiah was very much a political term. They were looking for somebody who would be a, a conquering king. And Jesus will be, just not yet. They were looking for somebody who was going to overthrow the current regime. They were looking for someone who would bring them freedom from Roman oppression. And yet Jesus didn't come to do any of that at that time. We believe that when he comes again, he will rule and reign in all the ways that they were thinking. So Jesus responds to their question this way. If you have your Bibles open, look at verses, chapter 10, verses 25 to 26. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, here's the thing. Jesus never publicly said, at least what we've seen so far in the book of John, he never publicly said, I'm the Christ. He never said that. And so in private, you know, when at different times um, he referred to himself as the son of man, which is, has very much divine and anointed connotations. And when he was talking with the woman at the well, she said, when Messiah comes, he, he'll make all things different. And she, he responded to her by saying, I who speak to you am he. he. He communicated, yeah, I'm the Messiah, but he always did it in private. So then the question becomes, is Jesus lying? Is Jesus lying when he said, I told you, but you don't believe me? I don't think he is. You see, he's letting his walk talk. 
He's letting his miracles, his signs, do the talking for him. Help them. I see this sign. Scripture in the Old Testament said this. Oh, this must be the guy. He's trying to help them see that. But he also points out to them that that they don't understand him because they are not his sheep. They have not been called. God has not opened their ears and opened their hearts to give them faith to believe. You see, but I also think that they uh, don't really want to believe. They don't have an interest in believing. You see, they want a Messiah that's going to fit into their box. They want a Messiah that's going to serve their agenda. And ultimately, they're not part of the flock that Jesus is gathering. And so in verse 27, Jesus uh, responds, or he continues his response. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. And with these words, Jesus is confirming something that we got to see last week. When he, remember when we talked about the fact that he's gathering, he's guiding, and he's guarding the flock of God. He's pulling people together and protecting us. He does this as part of the mission that God ordained for him. He conveys that it is ultimately God the Father who appoints these people to be his sheep. So let's, let's put our minds in, in this first century just for a moment. And let's try to think about what would these people have seen in Jesus? And when, what do Jesus' action confirm about his mission and identity? Well, we've talked about it briefly before, but several of the prophets hundreds of years earlier communicated that the Messiah would do certain things. I, I, I looked up a chart on, on one of the, uh, in the Bible study program that I have, and I think it would have printed out to about four pages long of prophecies that were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we're only going to deal with a handful that look at signs. But think about this. You see, some of the signs communicated that he would heal the sick. In Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 7, talk about this. Isaiah says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, do not fear, or be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for the waters break forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of living water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. He will cause the sick to be healed. But also, we already saw it in that passage, but in in another place, he'll cause the blind to see. Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 says, In that day the deaf shall hear. The words of the book, and out of their gloom and darkness, and the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. But beyond just healing the sick and healing the blind, he does so much more. In fact, up to this point in John's Gospel, we've seen him. We've seen him heal a sick man, the son of the uh, the uh, leader in, in Capernaum. We've seen him heal a lame man. Remember the guy at the pool of Bethsaida? He was there. He couldn't walk. He wanted to get up. And Jesus, on the Sabbath of all days, said, hey, get up and walk. Take your mat. It became a big controversy. 
He healed a man who was born blind. But in addition to that, he performed other signs like feeding 5,000 and then the next day walking on water. And all of these could be considered uh, indicative of messengers of God. You see, so many of the Old Testament prophets like Elijah and Elisha did wondrous and miraculous things. So really, I think Jesus is doing these things to say, hey, that kind of guy is me. That kind of guy is me, and, and I am the one that they've been talking about. His whole ministry seems to, be, uh, seems to be around showing people that he is the one in whom people can believe, ultimately leading up to his, his glorious act of sacrifice, his glor- the most glorious sign, and that is on the cross of, Jesus, uh, on the cross of Calvary. So we see his walk talks. But since we're supposed to be followers of Christ, I want to ask us, does our walk talk? Does yours and does mine? What do people see in our actions, in our walk? Can people identify us as followers of Christ? Can people see that we are on the mission that God has placed before us to make disciples, to love him, to love others? Do our, or do our actions simply show that we are good people or simply moral people? Do our actions reveal that we are more concerned with our own comfort or our political preferences or personal needs than we are about reaching the world around us? Our walk needs to talk. I think part of what happens for us as Christians is that we've bought into the, the falsely quoted statement from Francis of Assisi. People have attributed this statement to him that says, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. The problem is, Francis of Assisi never said that. Where it came from, I don't know, but people have been giving him the blame for it for a long time. The other problem is that we can do good things, we can share our lives, we can demonstrate the gospel in marriage and in service to our community, But ultimately, the gospel can't be communicated until people hear it with their ears. They can see it in our lives, but they also need to hear it from our lips. Whether it's written words, when we give them scripture or share the word of God with them, share a tract or book, or if we're really careful, a social media post, emails or letters, but also spoken words. How often does the gospel come across our lips in conversation with people. I know for me, it doesn't come off, come across as often as it should. But Jesus used both. You see, he performed miraculous signs, but he also conveyed, conveyed profound eternal truths. In fact, as Jesus explains his actions, he concludes this little response to these the religious leaders with this statement in John 10, 30. He said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father. And in response to that, we get to see that Jesus, this is my, the second big point if you want to follow, write this down. Jesus talk, talks, but not everybody understands. Frankly, there's a lot of debate on what Jesus means by I and the Father are one. Some people think that it meant he was saying, I am divine, just like God. I am, we are a, a unit in that way. Other people think that he, he, he meant we are sort of 
almost like in unity, if not in unity of, of substance, but in unity of purpose. We're working together. Sort of like if, if um, well, sort of like at art camp. Everybody was working together to help the kids enjoy art and have a great time and learn a little bit about the gospel at the same time. We were one in that. And, and so Jesus, but in, in saying this, he's trying to connect the dots for the Pharisees. He's talking about, I think, being on mission with God, unified in his purpose. But the Pharisees clearly thought that he was claiming to be God. And frankly, maybe he was. In, in John 10, 31 to 33, the Jews picked up stones in response to him saying, I and the Father are one. They picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Isn't that just what they were asking for? Will you tell us plainly exactly what you are now? He's given them what they want, and they don't want to hear it? No, 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 no I can't hear it. And so Jesus responds in verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. But again, Jesus' words are not being properly received. For his accusers, no amount of, of biblical or even logical apologetic will suffice. They simply will not believe. In John 10, 39 it says, uh, John writes, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. But I want us to think about this for a moment. Where does this wrestle with us? How does this apply to us? Because it's, I think it's important to remember that people will be offended by our speech. Hopefully it's not because of, because of how we speak. Hopefully we're not using offensive tone or offensive words or offensive language but simply because the gospel itself is offensive. You see, in order for the good news of the gospel to be received, the bad news, the truth of, of our condition has to be received, has to be acknowledged as well, that we are all stuck in sin and doomed for eternal separation from God. You know, most of us, just if, you were, if we were to go out to Wayland Commons this afternoon and ask people, hey, are you a good person? Most people would say, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. The challenge is we, accepting the fact that we are not worthy to receive eternal life in and of ourselves. We are not worthy to be entered into the kingdom of God by ourselves because of our sin is offensive, and people have to recognize that. But not only is... is um, the good news, the, the message of the gospel offensive, but 
People may, may find us offensive because Jesus' ways are offensive. Jesus' ways, what he calls us to, is antithetical to the world. His ways are different than ours. He calls us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. Whereas our society calls us to follow our hearts, or be whatever you want to be, or do whatever you want to do. You are your own ruler. He calls us to sacrifice, to suffer for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom. He calls us to lay down our rights. And he demonstrated that for us. And that, for many of us, is offensive. But the message of the gospel can also be offensive because it's exclusive. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to the Father, one way to eternal life, one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so just as Jesus was misunderstood, we should expect to be misunderstood. And yet in the midst of that, we should still hope because of what we see here in Jesus' encounter. So Jesus engaged with these religious leaders, and they want Jesus to speak, but when he, but when he lets his actions speak, they don't believe him, so they want words and when Jesus gives them words, they accuse him of blasphemy. And even when his words were supported by his actions, they simply don't want to hear it. And so Jesus escapes from their grasp. He ventures across the Jordan to a place where John the Baptist served. And in that place, we learn finally that Jesus' walk and talk resulted in belief by some people because of someone else's testimony. Look at verses 40 to 42. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. But many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but get this, look at this. Everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This week at art camp, Joanna Borman and I were out front kind of welcoming parents, and one mom happened to come up, and, you know, she dropped off her daughter, and we were talking for a bit, and she said, you know, my daughter's having a great time, and we're like, super, and, and, and then she said, and I'm really grateful for what you guys are teaching, because it's the same thing I'm teaching at home, that you should be generous and helpful to those who are in need and things like that. The kids raised over $1,400 for, for Rise Against Hunger. But, but the whole point was, I've been, she's, she basically said, I've been teaching my daughter these things, but she wasn't hearing it until she heard it from you too. Now, it's not only parents to kids. Unfortunately, I know from personal experience that it's spouse to spouse. I don't know how many times I've gone to Danielle and said, oh, guess what I just heard? This is such a good idea. And she smiles and says, yeah, I told you that six months ago. <laughs> And six months before that, and six months. There are times when we need confirmation from someone else. And I think that's a little what happens here. It seems that Jesus experienced the same thing on the other side of the Jordan. These people were very familiar with John the Baptist's ministry because he was all about telling people about Jesus. He called people to repentance and pointed people to Jesus. And then when Jesus came back through and began teaching and performing miracles, the light bulb went off in their heads and they said, yes, 
This is the guy that John was talking about. Sign me up, I believe. And I think for us, it's important for us to remember that as God creates opportunity for us to share the good news with people, sometimes it will result in faith. I remember when I was learning this one evangelistic strategy, they, they, we were doing kind of a seminar and we went to this church and we were learning all these things and they sent us out in teams. And the very first night we went out, the only time I, I went out with them and led this one little team, one person responded immediately on the spot to the gospel. It's like, woohoo, yay. But I don't know how many times I've shared the gospel and shared the gospel and shared the gospel and shared the gospel only to have it fall on deaf ears or people are simply not ready to believe. You see, sometimes when we share the gospel, we're just planting a seed. And someone else is going to come along, oh, there's the same gospel, another seed planted. There's another one, another, 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 another. So I want to encourage you, don't lose heart if your witness falls on deaf ears. In God's perfect time, he will draw those who he's appointed to be part of his flock. Keep letting your walk walk and your talk talk. And as others walk and talk the gospel with you, God will be glorified and in his perfect time, he will draw people to him. And in closing, I want to ask you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, you've heard the gospel in this church from this pulpit time and time and time again. You've seen it on display in the lives of other saints here. I pray that God would give you his eyes to see his works and ears to hear his words and faith to believe and a desire to respond. And if you've not yet followed Christ in that, come talk to me afterwards or let's get together this week. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for, Lord Jesus, for all that you encountered on our behalf, for all the things that you endured there at, the, at this Hanukkah festival. God, we thank you for the way that you used your signs to display who you were we thank you that some believed. Thank you for drawing us to believe. God, help us to be faithful, to allow other people to see your work in our lives by how we live, by how we speak, by how we confirm your work in the lives of others. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.